This is the More Than Right Podcast, an independent view of politics and American culture. I'm your host, Steve Lopez. In an attempt to defend President Joe Biden's pork-filled multi-trillion dollar Build Back Better spend fest, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said, quote, As you've heard me say when people ask me, what are the three most important issues facing Congress? I always say the same thing. Our children, our children, our children, unquote. That has been the Democrats' canned response in defense of bloated government expenditures for decades. But more recently, we saw what Nancy Pelosi really thinks of our children in particular, one Hispanic child. Following newly elected Republican Representative Myra Flores's swearing-in ceremony on Capitol Hill, Speaker Pelosi, Flores, her husband, and the couple's two young daughters posed for photos. That's when video shows Pelosi looking perturbed at the young girl by her side and, suddenly, Madam Speaker nudges the child away with her pointy right elbow. Pelosi followed the push with the usual politician's soulless smile. Remarkably, the child ignored the shove under the Capitol Dome and did not demand Congress hold hearings on the threat posed to American democracy by the violent, mean old lady with scary eyebrows. But her mother, Representative Flores, took to Twitter to make her feelings known. Quote, I'm so proud of my strong, beautiful daughter for not allowing this to phase her. She continued to smile and pose for the pictures like a queen. No child should be pushed to the side for a photo op. Period. Unquote. Nancy Pelosi is clearly under pressure. The January 6th hearings are a public relations flop that have failed to demonize Republicans in general and President Trump in particular. Polls show Republicans are still poised to rout Democrats in the coming midterm elections. Worse still, Politico reports new polls show Trump leads Biden, quote, in Arizona by eight percentage points, Georgia by three points, Michigan by 12 points, Pennsylvania by six points, and Wisconsin by 10 points, unquote. Politico points out that in 2020, these states were in Biden's electoral column by fewer than three percentage points. And then there's that irksome special election that recently occurred in South Texas, The one Hispanic Republican candidate Flores won, taking a House seat that's been in the hands of Democrats for 150 years. A Quinnipiac University poll finds only 26% of Hispanics approve of Biden's job performance. The reason? His open border policies. It's almost forgotten that Trump earned 28% of the Hispanic vote in 2016, which rose to 32% in 2020. Clearly, Hispanic disillusionment with Democrats is growing, and this trend can only worsen as inflation and gas prices soar. Nancy Pelosi's nudge of a young Hispanic girl demonstrates her contempt for a constituency no longer under the Democratic Party's sway. And in the years to come, that child will grow to voting age and push back.
Martyred civil rights leader Martin Luther King once said, quote, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing, unquote. This is certainly the view of devout Christian, U.S. Marine veteran, and assistant high school football coach Joseph Kennedy. Back in 2008, Kennedy began a tradition by kneeling in prayer after every Bremerton High School football game. That's when students inspired by Kennedy joined him in post-game prayer. But as is usually the case, someone took offense and complained. As it turned out, it was an opposing high school football coach. As a result, Bremerton High School launched an investigation into the matter and Kennedy was placed on administrative leave and barred from participating in the high school's football program. In the school's view, or should I say their legal counsel's view, Kennedy had violated the Establishment Clause of the U.S. Constitution. So let's get back to first things. What does the First Amendment actually say? Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances, unquote. Clearly, Bremerton High School's legal counsel believed that as an employee of the school, Kennedy's praying could be seen by the aggressively irreligious as a government representative establishing an official religion. Call it the Church of Latter-day Gridiron. Kennedy, on the other hand, saw the school's move as a violation of his religious freedom under the First Amendment, and so the conservative legal firm First Liberty Institute took on Kennedy's case. Needless to say, Kennedy lost in U.S. District Court, whose ruling was later upheld by the leftist Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, but the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. It was Justice Neil Gorsuch who wrote the majority opinion, getting to the gist of the matter in the ruling's first paragraph, saying Bremerton High School acted wrongfully when firing Kennedy, quote, because it thought anything less could lead a reasonable observer to conclude, mistakenly, that it endorsed Mr. Kennedy's religious beliefs. That reasoning was misguided. Both the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's. Nor does a proper understanding of the Amendment's Establishment Clause require the government to single out private religious speech for special disfavor. The Constitution and the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship or suppression, for religious and non-religious views alike. Unquote. Kennedy did not use his position of authority to demand the religious observance of others. Rather, his post-game devotions represented the free exercise of his religious faith. The secular institution of Bremerton High School believed the First Amendment's Establishment Clause gave them license to hunt down and suppress all religious expressions by employees. This misreading of the First Amendment is like that which believes the government has similar powers to hunt down and suppress gun ownership in America under the Second Amendment's well-regulated militia clause. Both misread the Constitution's first two amendments as mandating the suppression of individual rights so as not to offend the sensibilities of the majority rather than mandating the protection of the minority's unalienable rights against the power 
of the political majority and their duly elected representatives. In other words, the lynch mob needs no protection against their victims. Clearly, it's the other way around. As Justice Gorsuch reminded the nation and Bremerton High School, quote, Here a government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a brief, quiet, personal religious observance doubly protected by the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment. And the only meaningful justification the government offered for its reprisal rested on a mistaken view that it had a duty to ferret out and suppress religious observances, even as it allows comparable secular speech. The Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. Unquote. The Supreme Court's Trump triumvirate, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, have made clear they intend to interpret the U.S. Constitution according to its text. This form of jurisprudence is called textualism. In the book, Reading Law, the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia wrote, quote, The descent into social rancor over judicial decisions is largely traceable to non-textual means of interpretation, which erodes society's confidence in the rule of law that eventually has no agreed-on meaning. Non-textual interpretation, which makes statesmen of judges, promotes the shifting of political blame from the political organs of government, the executive and legislature, to the judiciary. The consequences is the politicizing of judges, and hence the process of selecting them, and a decline of faith in democratic institutions. Unquote. We saw this expressed in the Warren Court's 1973 landmark ruling in Roe v. Wade. The High Court's non-textual reading found a woman's so-called right to abortion in the Constitution, lurking in the document's make-believe penumbras and emanations. This flimsy reasoning was unsustainable. And so, with the High Court's textualists unable to find the term abortion anywhere in the document, they had no choice but to overturn a bad ruling based on nothing but active legal imaginations. By overturning Roe v. Wade, the Trump triumvirate threw the question of abortion back to Congress and the states. If the former wishes to pass an abortion amendment to the U.S. Constitution, it may do so. But that means two-thirds of the states will have to ratify the measure with little chance of success. And so, the issue of abortion is left to the 50 states and their people, not nine justices acting as unelected legislative statesmen with lifetime tenures. It is the loss of this dictatorial, non-textual hold over American society that truly enrages the authoritarian left, not abortion. Like the hot-headed Islamists who fume that once subjugated Jerusalem is back in the hands of its Israelite founders, the left laments the loss by the high court's non-textualist conquerors to the liberators of the Constitution's clear and understandable language. And speaking of Israelites, it was textualist Moses who said, after presenting the people with the tablets of the law, quote, Proclaim liberty throughout the land, unto all the inhabitants thereof, unquote. These same words are inscribed on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. You see, we are a people who live under a system 
founder John Adams described as ordered liberty, that is to say, liberty under the law. And if the words of our Constitution have no clear meaning, then neither do our freedoms. The unhinged souls crying uncontrollably on social media over the Supreme Court's affirming the clear words of the Constitution fear the responsibilities these recent rulings confer. The obligation of women not to engage in promiscuous sex to avoid unwanted pregnancies, a duty to defend, armed if necessary, one's self and one's family rather than depend on overtaxed law enforcement, and, if the ups and downs of chaotic freedom become more than one can bear, a moment of silent prayer that telegraphs to those around you there exists a higher power than the justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, the occupant of the Oval Office, and the simpletons in Congress. High school football coach Joseph Kennedy's silent prayers also reminds us, as Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. The High Court's recent textualist rulings are a clear and for some an uncomfortable reminder that, in the beginning, was the Word. That concludes this edition of the More Than Right podcast. If you wish to make a comment, you can contact the show at morethanrightpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Steve Lopez.